God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Did you ever have a dream vacation? Not your normal one to the shore or up to the mountains or where you would normally go, but one that you were just really looking forward to. I see some heads nodding yes here. Did it go exactly as planned? Okay, right? Not so much. Let me ask one that, that may apply to some of you. Retirement. For years you thought about retirement. And has retirement gone exactly the way you thought retirement would go? I see some heads yes, and I see some shakes no, and I see one or two, but I'm not retired yet. Right, Bobby? <laughs> Hold on to that feeling for just a couple of minutes. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, now David is the king mentioned here, the second king of Israel. And right now he's at the very top of his power. God's people are protected. All the items that had been stolen from them over the years, most importantly the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark made by Moses and Aaron, had been returned to God's people and brought to Jerusalem. The whole country is unified under David's leadership. And David moves into his palace in Jerusalem, and now he wants to build God a house better than the one that even David lives in. He describes the tabernacle as a tent, and he seems to feel a little guilty that he's living in this beautiful palace. And, and the Ark of the Covenant, the place where they go and worship God, had been a tent made originally in Moses' time. And notice here, when he goes and he talks to the prophet Nathan, Nathan doesn't stop and pray. But he gives David what seems to be the common sense answer, right? King, you want to build God a house? Go for it. But when the night comes, God talks to Nathan and says, Listen, you all are misunderstanding what I want. God tells him, I've not had a house. I've not had a permanent dwelling by design. He tells Nathan, I've never asked for a permanent dwelling. I've never asked for anyone to come to Jerusalem and build me a great temple. I didn't ask Moses or Joshua, and I didn't ask any of the people that came after them leading God's people. Now, in some ways, God does not want his people to think that they could only find him in one place, that he was limited, that he was like the gods of the people around him. Most of those gods had only one place that you could go and talk to them. Think of the temple of Zeus or the temple of Neptune. They're like police boxes. When you need to go and talk to your God, you go there because they're not listening anywhere else. When we think back to those stories we heard in classes about what happens when mere mortals meet Zeus wandering in the road, do any of those stories end well for the person involved? No, they don't. People generally try to stay out of being in the way of the gods. And God here says, listen, I'm everywhere. The tabernacle moved wherever my people were, and it moved around the country when my people settled. I'm everywhere, and you can pray to me anywhere. We can talk to him like he's our father, like our friend. And oh yes, I want the whole world to know. I want to be able to save everyone. He tells Nathan, Therefore you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from a pasture, from following the sheep to be a prince over my people Israel. 
God spends time reminding David of his journey. David wasn't born in the palace. He wasn't Saul's son. But God brought him from being the shepherd of sheep to being the shepherd for God's people. But then he gives David a promise. He tells Nathan, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. Your throne established forever. David wanted to build God a house, and God in return wants to fulfill his promise to Abraham. He wants to build the family of God. David's dynasty, his children, will reign forever. Think about that promise. God loved his people and promised them a Messiah. And God loved David and promised that the Messiah would come from his family. Your love, O Lord, forever will I sing. From age to age my mouth will proclaim your faithfulness. For I am persuaded that your love is established forever. You set your faithfulness firmly in the heavens. Now a gentleman named Ethan the Ezraite wrote this as a minister of music under David. And I see here David's understanding of God shining through. The love that Ethan is writing about here is from the same God that David wrote about, saying, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then Ethan talks about God has promised David that he'll establish your throne forever and make your throne firm throughout all generations. Ethan goes on to talk about how David was anointed by the God who created the heavens and the earth. And that because of that relationship, God would bless him and his descendants. The love of God allows us to say, You are my Father, my God, and the very rock of my salvation. Then we get to the more familiar story, don't we? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, the last two weeks, we've heard from the evangelists Mark and John. And Mark and John begin with declarations of who Jesus is. Mark says that he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Word made flesh. And then moves on to his cousin John and talking about Jesus' baptism. Luke, though, Luke begins with an angel. First, the angel comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth, telling them that after all of these years of wanting, they're going to have a son. Strikes Zechariah deaf and or mute for his troubles. And that like Abraham and Sarah, even though they've tried, finally in their old age they're going to be able to have children. And then six months later the angel comes to Mary and tells her that she's going to have a child. And notice that Mary's initially perplexed, confused, not sure why the angel is even there. And has to be reassured. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you've found favor with God. You'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He'll be called great, and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Gabriel is telling Mary that what God had promised to David, what Ethan had wrote the psalm about, what we've heard the prophets talk about over the last few months, that the Messiah was about to be born. And when Mary asks how, Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will take care of it. And the child will be born holy and called the Son of God. And then he tells her that Elizabeth, her cousin, is miraculously pregnant, for nothing is impossible with God. And all Mary can say in that moment is, 
Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. In a few weeks, she's going to find herself sent to her cousin Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth and her meet, she says this, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She goes on to say, He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm and scattered the proud in their conceit. He's cast down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich sent away empty. He's come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary lets Elizabeth know that the son she was about to birth that everything promised to Abraham and Sarah, to Isaac and Rebekah, to Jacob, to David, through all the prophets, that would come to pass, and that God's love would become incarnate in this broken world. And through him, this broken world would be healed and saved. Paul writes, Now to God who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept for long ages. Paul's epistle to the Romans, arguably his most thorough discussion of what God is doing throughout all times and all places, ends with a doxology, a cry out to God thanking him for everything that he has done. Notice that it's God who's strengthening us through the gospel, through the proclamation of Jesus Christ, and that what happened is not something new. It wasn't a last-minute script change. No, the plan of God had been in place, and it had been kept secret. And Paul says, but now it's disclosed, and the prophetic writings are made known to the Gentiles according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Paul's saying that God's mystery has been revealed in part. Jesus has come with redemption and freedom and healing and love, but this plan has only been seen in glimpses until he came. And now even we who are grafted into the vine can begin to understand what God had been revealing through his prophets throughout all those long ages. Why? Because he unveiled it thus into our hearts and has come to bring faith to Jesus, in Jesus. And now we await the final unveiling of his mystery, his return. Paul ends with, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to whom be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. And as we await his coming with anticipation, it could be hard. David, Ethan, the prophets, all waited with hope for what God was doing, but still had to live in the world while they waited. And while our wait to hear the Christmas story is almost over, in just a few hours you can come back, and we'll talk about what happened to Mary and Joseph next. But now, we as Christians are waiting with hope for his return. Praising God, because in the end, death and the grave have been overcome. And because of that, we can wait with joy, because of God's love for us. Amen.